Hi everyone, welcome to the finale episode of the series of Fierce on Unplug with Annie. Today I've got Amy on the show. Amy is currently in ministry. She is based out in Asheville. She grew up in a church um, environment and rather than being focused on a Christ-centered relationship, it was definitely focused on religion for her. She's had a pretty tough upbringing. Um, she was sexually abused as a child and um, she she fell into a world of, of sin, um, became a raging alcoholic and a frequent drug abuser until her life completely transformed and, and it's all thanks to her faith. And to the amazing relationship she has with Jesus Christ and how it's just changed her life. And faith to me is something I'm always inspired by. Uh, it's definitely my foundation. And um, I, I definitely love to hear people's testimonies of how faith really has changed their, their life completely. So she's sharing that with us today and I'm super excited. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Unplug with Annie. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm so glad you're on and, and for you to be the finale episode on this series called Fierce because I am talking to amazing women who are doing amazing things and it would just be amazing to end the series on a note of talking about faith. Yeah. So I just want to talk to you a little bit first about you growing up, um, you growing up in a, in a family who, who are a Christian family and being around God. And um, interestingly, like friends of mine who have had similar experiences because of, of that upbringing have run away from God, um, right. only to find God again at, at the time that was destined for them, I guess. Similarly, mm -hmm. I know you can relate to that. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so I grew up in a a Christian household, but it was more, and I say this, I describe it in this way because this is kind of how I experienced it. Um, there was a disconnect between who you are and who God is. And in order to speak to him, he seemed so far away. So I guess for me, when I was learning about God growing up, I felt like he was just very, very distant. And he was almost like this, um, faraway ruler on this throne and he didn't really know me he didn't really care about me individual wise so it wasn't like a relationship I guess you could say um so what happened was I guess when I got older what the enemy will do is he will detour you and pull you away and try to get you to be more interested in other things so everything that I learned in Christianity was boring to me um I really came to a point where I just got bored with it all. And I started to be distracted by, you know, friends, partying, all that kind of stuff. And that's why I decided, okay, anything having to do with Jesus, anything having to do with God, boring, too many restrictions, can't have fun, anything having to do with the enemy, which I didn't know was the enemy because he won't make that clear. Um, I was more concerned about just being popular, the looks aspect of things. Um, so anything that drew me away, I felt like I was more attracted to because it was fun. It was exciting. And anything having to do with God, it seemed boring, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. And you've obviously, you, you, had, you had mentioned a little bit about having certain experiences in your childhood, which did leave scars, like you were abused as a child. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I don't know what age that was, but 
was it was there a defining moment in your life where you when you look back and realize like that was abuse or did you realize at the time itself um so basically that happened when i was in preschool so preschool i'd say about five years old is when that took place now at that time um i was actually abused by young uh, actually children in my class so it wasn't an adult it was actually by um young children who I didn't know at that time they were being abused because mm. they would not have known about, you know, you're not supposed to be awakened to something like that in preschool. So what I believe looking back now at that time, didn't know that what was taking place was necessarily wrong, but deep down inside, I knew something wasn't right because it had to be a secret. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it had to be hidden. Um, so it was actually two young girls who were sisters and I became friends with them in preschool. And then, you know, they started abusing me and I knew something was wrong at that time, but I didn't understand what it was connected to because you don't have knowledge. You know, at that age, you don't have head knowledge of, you know, right and wrong, but right and wrong in preschool is like, don't eat the cookie when mommy tells you not to eat the cookie or, you know, very simple things. But this, yeah. this was opening me up to a whole other world that you're not supposed to know about. And what that does is that breeds insecurity and it breeds shame. And shame was the number one thing at looking back now. Um, the enemy uses shame as a way to silence you. The enemy uses shame as a way to make you feel um, disconnected from reality and from other people. So that's why when, if you notice um, anybody else you may know who has been abused, sexually abused as a kid, what mm -hmm. happens is, is you begin to disconnect from reality and you kind of like some people will make, um, another personality, so to speak. Um, a lot of times they'll have, you know, what is it? Invisible friends, they call it, you know, stuff like that, something to help you cope. So to answer your question at that time, I didn't know it was wrong that what was going on, but I knew something wasn't right but yeah. because I was told to keep it a secret because I was told to never talk about it. Um, that's when I knew something was wrong. If I'm not allowed to tell mommy and daddy what's going on, you know, then that, that means something's not right here. And I could connect that, but shame was connected and shame always has you not tell anybody about it. So that's kind of how I grew up is five years old and on shame, condemnation, um, insecurity, fear, hundred yeah. percent fear. So that kind of started to, I guess, create my personality and my personality was completely bred out of fear and shame. So that's at the course of my life. And, and of course, going through something like that and, and people who have these experiences, it, it's quite a traumatic experience. And a yeah. lot of people just don't realize they're carrying this trauma for so long and they just haven't completely healed. Do you feel still, do you feel at peace with it now where you are in your life? Or do you feel there are moments where you, where you, you kind of have a throwback to those memories or you feel vulnerable because of what happened? I would definitely say that until I became a Christian. So what happened was I fell away for a long time from the Lord yeah. during that process of not, I mean, cause I grew up Christian, right? But when I got about 14, 15 years old, I completely disconnected from God a hundred percent. I actually even started dabbling in the occult for a little bit and pulled away a lot of new age stuff. I became very um, attracted to, but looking back during that process without Jesus, 
I carried shame and condemnation still from my past and didn't really want to tell anybody. And I, that was my vow. Nobody will ever know about this. Um, if anybody ever found out this would be detrimental, you know, I, I don't want to be judged for this or whatever, even though it wasn't my fault. Now when I became a Christian, um, God did a work in my heart that was so, I, it's so transformational. God does a work in your heart when you become a Christian. And it, it's a process. It didn't just happen overnight. It was very, um, I'd say over the course of about a year, the Lord started showing me that this, this was connected to the enemy. Shame and condemnation, as we know it says in the word of God, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I learned that. And God started transforming my heart and my mind, like it says in the word, that this was not my fault. This was something that happened to me that was beyond my control. And I think the biggest um, miracle out of this is I have no animosity or anger towards these girls that this happened with. As a matter of fact, I knew that there was a change when the Lord started transitioning my heart to feeling bad for them and sorry for them, that whatever happened in their life, that this was, they were being abused and they didn't know any better and then they were doing it to other people and that they, didn't, they just didn't know. So I think for me, present day now, I have no animosity toward them. I have no ill will, hurt. As a matter of fact, both girls found me on Facebook in the course of the last couple of years and we've never really discussed it or talked about it, but they do follow me now and they follow my ministry. And I think it's like one of those, they see where I am and they see where I am in the Lord and they see how I cultivate that atmosphere of forgiveness in my life. And, um, I think it let them off the hook a little bit as weird as that sounds. Um, holding on to unforgiveness is our way of trying to make something right. It's our way of bringing justice. And I learned early on that justice isn't ours. We're not supposed to try to make, you know, seek vengeance. The Bible says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. So I don't even want that for them. I, I feel so terrible that they, whatever they went through in their life as a young kid. And that was, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, so yeah, I'm totally set free. I don't have any PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder from that. Um, I feel completely free from it. It literally is like a whole nother life when I wow. do talk about it or share my testimony. Um, and I think that God does that to show people that you can have healing after something like that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's incredible. And of course, we'll be talking more about this journey. But going back to you, you saying that you fell away from, you know, your beliefs at that certain point in your life. Um, obviously, we're, we're constantly um, exposed and, and, and vulnerable to temptation, worldly temptation. And um, in fact, like, you know, of course, we're encouraged, I think, in a lot of places to seek this escapism um, right. in the form of drugs or alcohol. And, and as somebody who, who went through this and, uh, and did suffer from, from, from alcohol abuse to a certain degree, when you were in it, did you find yourself um, justifying your behavior or was there, a, was there a little voice inside of you wanting to break out from it and just not seeing the light? Um, and, and, and did you feel like you fell into that trap in the first place because of the lack of understanding and support around you, or was it like a need of validation or what was it for you? Um, so I look back now and I think about specifically the alcoholism was huge. Um, it was definitely an escape for me. It helped me. I actually believed the lie and here's where the justification comes in. 
um, whether it was drugs or alcohol, most of the time, both. Um, I really thought that when I was under the influence of alcohol or drugs, that it altered me and helped me be a better person. That was the lie that I fell into. So for instance, um, I've always struggled my whole life with social anxiety. I love people. I love being around people. I love talking to people. But when I'm in a big setting and there's a lot of people around me, I tend to get a little bit anxious. Um, I don't know what it is. And it's something I feel like that may have you know, come from childhood. Now, when I was growing up and I was like 14, 15, 16, getting older, I started drinking. I started doing drugs because it calmed me down. Um, at least that's what I believed. So I would be at a party and instantly I'd be like, Oh, got a pre-drink, got a pre-party because then I'll feel better. I won't be as anxious. I'll have more confidence. You know, like they say, um, I think there's that phrase that alcohol is called liquid courage and mm -hmm. it, it's a false courage that kind of comes over you. Now, everybody is different. Everybody has a different, um, you know, reaction to that kind of thing for me because I'm naturally very, um, energetic and I actually struggled with ADD um, attention deficit disorder for a while that actually did the opposite so like alcohol or drugs would make somebody really excited and exuberant and whatever it would actually calm me down and I'd be easier to talk to so I thought um, looking back now I see friends who I was you know I would interact with on a daily basis and they were like yeah you weren't you like you turned into somebody totally different and the sad part is is when you go through an inner turmoil in life, you will run to something that's gonna self-medicate or numb the pain, so to speak. Drugs as in, um, oh my goodness, I mean, I can't even think, there's so many that I had tried. I had used to smoke weed with cocaine, you know, and that would give you a high and a low. I mean, just stuff where I look back and I'm like, I should have definitely died a couple of times. Um, and then alcohol, I would drink 12 beers a night easily. And it, and it got to the point where I was getting so used to that self-medication that two beers turned into four, four turned into eight, eight turned into 12. And all of a sudden I'm getting a whole fifth of vodka to myself. And people are looking at me like, oh yeah, Amy can drink anybody under the table. And I took pride in that. I thought that that was like something to be super proud of. And really what I didn't realize is people were watching me from a distance saying, when is she going to self-implode? Like surely she's not going to be able to carry this on forever. And um, I knew deep down inside that something was wrong. But when you know something's wrong, you'll justify it. Like we, we, you just said in your question, you'll justify it and you'll become proud of it. And really, you're not proud. It's just a way to kind of cover up the fact that you know you need this and you don't want it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, no, no, of course, of course. I think I, yeah, I think I've seen a lot of that around me. I can see exactly what you mean. And um, I think everyone sort of hits, it hits a certain point where um, they start questioning the life they're living and if it's, you know, right. really, really what they want in the long run. But of course, I, I know in this conversation, faith has a lot to do with it. Um, but looking at relationships as well, um, you, you have mentioned that the whole, the, the need for a lot of people and, and to, to be promiscuous as well. I mean, that's just another right. temptation. Um, However, like we know in, in like being born again, if you like finding a relationship with Christ are made new. And, and did you find after making the switch and really committing to Christ and, and committing to Christianity that you were, did you feel like after having made that decision, you were judged by your old sins or do you even feel that today? Or do you just feel like people, um, people forget about it and they're just accepting you for who you are today? 
Well, that's what I was worried about because I was really promiscuous. I, I had no idea that love had nothing to do with sex, just being honest. I figured if a guy really found me to be attractive or hot or whatever, I would walk down the road and get somebody to beep their horn at me. And I'm like, okay, we're good. Like I still got it. It was so fake and so false because that's not love. That's lust. The enemy, I look at like two sides here. God is love. The enemy cannot be love. He can only mock what truth really is. So he chooses lust. Lust is the appearance of love, but really it's totally empty and void. So I had fallen for the fake makeshift of love. And that's why I slept around. That's why I found my identity in guys. And that's why I never could hold a relationship. I dated really terrible guys who had no self-worth for themselves. So they couldn't love me. So then I just kept going from one guy to one guy to one guy. And when I got saved, I made a vow. I was like, okay, I was so over here with all things bad that now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to go on the opposite side of everything. And I'm going to be all things good. I'm not going to date. I'm not going to go to coffee with a guy. Now that's extreme. So I'm not saying that that's, you know, how God yeah. loves it. But for me, I needed to do that because I felt like, I guess there is that little part of you that wants to feel like you're making this better, even though it's not you, it's Christ. But I, I knew that if I was so this way, I needed to be so this way. So I just shut guys out completely. Now, where did that leave me feeling, you know, old sin wise. Well, the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you become a new creation in Christ. And that was so hard for me to understand because I still had remembrance. A new creation to me means brand new, right? Yeah. So I thought, well, I still have all these memories of the past. And my biggest fear was that the church that I was involved in would find out about who I was before. And it goes even past that. I was in and out of jail for two years. I was you know, sleeping around, doing drugs. I was everything you could possibly do. I was hitting, hitting that breaking point. So I thought, okay, keep this under wrap. Nobody will know what's happened. Nobody will know about my experience before I became a Christian. I'm a new creation. Nobody will ask, but God has a way of taking your testimony and he mm -hmm. wants you to be able to talk about it freely. So what he did was he actually, I had shared my testimony with one person and that person had found out about the dream that I had of the Lord. And um, they started telling everybody. And all of a sudden I got this um, email and they were like, we heard your testimony. Would you mind um, coming on video and sharing your testimony with everybody? And I was like, no, because <laughs> once everybody knows, that's it. And, the, and then the Lord's like, what are you going to lie? You're a new creation now. You're going to talk about that, Amy, as if it's somebody else, because it is. You are literally a new person. So that's kind of how the Lord got me out of my, um, my little hiding place. He had me tell my testimony on video and it still exists, I think, to this day on YouTube. But um, that was a way of saying like, Amy, you're not going to go back. This is it. Like once everybody knows about you, you are a new creation. Now I had old friends who came on the scene and they would write me on Facebook or text me and be like, who do you really think you are? Like, wait till everybody finds out about who you used to be. And I'm like, well, mm. easy peasy. I already told the world about it. Doesn't matter now. And that actually took away the fear instantly of what if everybody finds out about who I used to be? I just told it all, told the truth, got it all out in the open. And 
that's honestly how my ministry all started. Wow. So you spoke, you spoke about this dream and I'm curious to hear more about exactly if you can share a little bit about what happened, what was that turning point for you? Um, so basically like I, you already know, I had the, um, the background of knowing about Christianity, but Mm -hmm. I fell away and that was more religion. It wasn't relationship. Mm -hmm. So what had happened was, um, it was in 2009, I believe it was 2009, 2010. I was in a relationship abusive relationship with a really bad guy. Um, and I knew I needed to get out. I just didn't know how. So I had prayed and I was just like, if you're real, I don't even know if you are, but if you're real, I need you to really meet me in this moment. I really need you to help me get out of this mess. Well, I think it was about a week later, I had a dream and in short, the Lord came to me in a dream. And I believe that hundred percent because most people will look at you and depending on what kind of uh, religious background you're from, they'll be like, Oh, you know, Jesus doesn't do that. God doesn't reach you. God only speaks through the word or God only does this. And that's true. God speaks through his word, but we have to understand that the word of God is a whole accumulative book of experiences that people had personal experiences with the Lord. Um, I didn't think that was possible. So basically I had a dream one night that I was looking for Jesus. I was walking through Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, I had no knowledge of the Bible. That is key to this dream because you'll look back. I look back now and I'm like, I would have never known any of this stuff. Um, So basically I was in Jerusalem looking for Jesus. I was with a group of people. I said, where's Jesus? I need to find him. And they said, he's down there in that building. And I had looked, I was up on a high peak and I was looking down and I saw this little town. What I didn't know at the time was Jerusalem. And I see this big building and they said, he's in that building, but don't go in there because if you go in there, you're going to get sick. And I thought knowing my personality, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go. Jesus is in that building. I'm going to go. So what I did was I carried on without them. And I went to this building and I heard two people speaking and I looked into this big, large room and I saw Jesus, which I did not see his face. I only saw his body, but I knew it was him. And I saw an elderly, elderly woman hunched over talking to him. Now, I've had three dreams of Jesus my whole life. Every single dream, you have full knowledge of everything going on in that room. It is the craziest thing. I can't explain it. But all I can say is, in his presence is fullness of truth. Everything is known. You, I would be able to tell you the exact diameter of the room and how high the walls were and how many tiles were on the floor. Like It was this total awareness. And that's how I always know these dreams are so real because I don't feel that in any other dream. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's very different. So in this dream, this woman speaking in another language and Jesus was listening to her and he reached out his hand and the minute he touched her, she shot straight up and all this light was coming out of her. And in that moment, Jesus shifted his body and looked straight at me. And like I said, I did not see his face. I only could see his body. But in that moment, I felt this overwhelming weight of knowing all this bad stuff. So all these things that I'd ever done in my life started just coming up. And I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, everything I've ever done, I knew was wrong. He knows it. And all I could think about is, I'm gonna just say I'm sorry. I'm gonna just say I'm sorry. And before I could verbally say, I'm so sorry, he answered my thought. Now that to me was amazing because I didn't know that as we know in the New Testament, numerous times we see Jesus that says, and Jesus answered the Pharisees thoughts or Jesus Mm. answered the disciples thoughts. So in this moment, I went to go say, I'm sorry. And as I went to go say it, he actually answered and said, and I remember seeing his shoulders, even like this, it's okay. 
just like you're at a grocery store and you bump into somebody <laughs> and you're like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, it's okay. I thought, how in the world, all this sin, all this promiscuous activity, all of this drugs and alcohol and everything, all the words I've ever said to people and the lies I had spoken. And, and literally Jesus shrugs his shoulders and says, it's okay. <laughs> now, a theologian, a religious leader could tell you nowadays, well, that's silly because sin isn't okay. So Jesus wouldn't say that. But what if Jesus already died for the sin? What if he already covered everything? What if he already removed as far as the East is from the West? Would he not look at you and say, oh, you didn't hear? Oh, you didn't know? I died for all that. It's done. It's over. So that's why in that moment when he said, it's okay, it was like, who is this man? That he yeah. would just shrug off all the, because that's how Jesus looks at it. When you're made new, you are made new, whole. There is nothing left, no residue. Like people say, you go through the fire, you come out not even smelling like smoke. Like that is true redemptive power that Jesus does on the cross. So for me, um, I look back on that dream and there's more to it. And I'll share it with you another time. It's a long dream. But <laughs> I woke up from that dream and I remember thinking to myself, I just had an encounter with the Lord. Like you go from crazy party girl, Amy, to waking up and now all I can think about is this Jesus. Yeah. My boyfriend at the time thought I was absolutely nuts. He was like, <laughs> you've lost your mind. We don't follow that kind of religion. You're crazy. And I'm like, no, Jesus knew what I needed. God knew what I needed to be able to kind of wake me up to who he is. And what's funny is the only way he could reach me <laughs> was a dream because I was completely silent and asleep. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that dream because that's what woke me up. Yeah, that's amazing. And I can definitely relate to that because I, f I feel like my first encounter was because of a dream. It's, it's so interesting. Wow. It, 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 it's so amazing that you, you, you spoke about um, Jesus sort of reaching, reaching you. And I think in a, in a paraphrase a little bit, meeting, meeting you when, when you're broken, I think yes. like, you know, he, he's close to the brokenhearted and that's where he gets in and he can use Absolutely. our weakness. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, so many people, I, I guess, um, struggle with this idea of, you know, I want to hear God's voice. How mm -hmm. do I, how do I hear God's voice when I'm making a decision? How do I, um, how do I know this is from him? And, you know, we, we're in that culture where it's like, oh, you know, people talk about that's, that's a sign. You got a sign and you saw this mm -hmm. and we're looking for that reassurance. We're looking for that confirmation. And when we're on this journey with Christ, what is the best way to do that? Is it through because we don't, is it that God meets us in the way that we understand as individuals or is it something specific that we need to be looking for? Well, first and foremost, I say God speaks through his word in all circumstances. That is to me the best news because God can meet you and speak to you in a way that would only speak to you. Like for instance, my mom loves nature. She loves gardening. She loves growing vegetables. So she's in her garden all the time. She always has said since I was a little girl, God speaks to me. You know, he sent me a butterfly and I just felt like that was the Lord saying hello. We all have our little ways of where the Lord will reach us. Um, but the number one thing that God reaches us in is, is through his word. Um, he gave us 66 books in this Bible of all stories and wisdom and honor and glory to his name. And we learn his character as we read through the word. We learn about who he is, who he's been, his faithfulness, his love. So I'd say, first of all, God speaks through his word. 
God speaks in such an amazing way through his word that every time I open up that Bible, whether it's in the book of Psalms or we're in Genesis in the very beginning or we're all the way at the end of Revelation, every single time I open up the Bible, there's something that I needed for that day. That's why they call it daily bread. If you try to take bread from yesterday and hold it till next week, it's probably going to get dry and moldy. Mm. That's why you're going to need your daily bread every day. So I say God speaks through his word. The more you know the word of God, the more you understand scripture, the more it's going to come to you in situations. If you're needing um, clarity or wisdom on how to make a decision, you'll remember, oh yeah, the word of God says that that's a double-edged sword and it leads in all truth. Or, oh yeah, his word's a light unto my steps, onto my path. Like you're going to remember things or it says Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So when I make a decision, I know that, okay, Romans 8, 28, God works everything for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. Like you get this word in you, it's going to start flowing out of you and it's going to help you make better decisions. Also too, when you become a Christian, Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. That's the promised gift. That's the gift that Jesus talked about, the perfect counselor. What's a counselor do? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead in all truth. So it's less about relying on yourself and more about relying on the Holy Spirit, working and living and ruling and reigning inside of you, leading you in all truth. And I honestly, it's, it's setting full assurance and hope and trust in that. Um, the Lord can speak through a friend. Somebody could, you could go to the gas station or whatnot and somebody could come up to you and say, hey, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you so, so, and so. And it's like, whoa, how did you know that about, you, you wouldn't know that about me. How did you know that? So it's also hearing it through other people. Like I said, the word prayer, prayer is huge, huge, and so underrated in the culture nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, I would say 100% I saw my relationship with the Lord transform when I made prayer the pivotal um, focal point in my life. So I guess to kind of roundabout answer your question is God speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer. Um, prayer actually helps you to know his voice better. And now I don't hear the Lord audibly at all it's more of like this comes from the inside or yeah. it's like a thought you just know it's just different you think to yourself that wasn't me okay that was not just me like how did that just flow like scripture i'm not good at memorizing anything but when it comes to the word of god mm. i can remember it so there's just a supernatural aspect on how god chooses to speak to people and it does look different sometimes but it's always the word and prayer yeah. Yeah. So is, is, is that something that you do? Is that your everyday thing? Cause I like talking about mental health as well. And it's such a big, big topic. Mm -hmm. that, um, everyone has something different that they do. And a lot of people like routine, some people don't, but for you, what, what is that thing that you do every day for your own mental peace and, and, and yeah, for, for a peace of mind, I guess, would that be prayer for you? Or would it be a combination of things? Um, so basically how I say it is, I wake up in the morning and I say good morning to God. And that's when I open up our communication. And then when I go to bed at the end of the night, I say good night to him. And that's when I close the communication. So what I mean by that is I am in constant communication with God throughout my entire day. I would think from the average person, they probably think I'm talking to myself because sometimes I'll just talk out loud to him. That's how real God is to me. He's with me. I truly believe, like it says in the word, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Okay. If, if he said that, he means it. So I wake up, I open my communication, my dialogue. And honestly, the first thing I say to the Lord is, yes, Jesus, you have my yes today. Whatever that looks like, wherever you lead me. Yes. 
-hmm. I say yes. And that throughout the day where I'm driving, I'll be talking to God or worshiping in the car. Um, I'll be at work working on something and I work in the Christian music industry out in Nashville. Um, so I'm helping things, you know, doing things in that realm. And I'm asking God to give me wisdom and I'm having an inner dialogue conversation with him even there. So <laughs> prayer, prayer for me is key. I'm asking God for wisdom every day, clarity, um, helping in decision-making processes. I'm telling him my hurts. I'm telling him my desires. I'm sharing with him the key moments of the day. I'm praying for my husband, um, you know, just stuff like that. So Prayer is my, my go-to for everything. And that to me has gotten me through and had actually has strengthened my relationship with the Lord more than mm. anything. Yeah, no, amazing. The one, one thing I find interesting about prayer, I think it's, there's a saying which says, I asked God for cake and, and God gave me flour, butter, sugar, but I just didn't see it. Um, right. Often we, we do pray for things like wisdom and discernment and all of these things, but it doesn't come how we expect it because right. we have this outlook um, yeah is, is there is there a way of really recognizing at the moment you know that this is from even like I said in terms of decision making and I know you said the word but um just that the way we're going about doing things is correct is there a feel should we be should there be this constant state of peace when mm -hmm. we know it's from God how do we know that that path is from God well, I think you just said it. Peace is, for me, that's the sealer. That's when I know that this is the Lord. And it says in the Bible, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm. If you really break that down and think about that for a minute, it's being in a situation where normally you would feel anxious or stressed or whatever the case may be. But it's in that moment where you don't feel that way. That's why it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. It totally surpasses head knowledge. It won't make sense sometimes, but that's how I know a lot of times it's the Lord. Because we know too that there's no fear in love, that perfect love, what, casts out all fear. So anytime I'm feeling fearful, it's either me being in my flesh, because this right here, this flesh, tries to get us to live a whole different way. Because, yeah. you know, the word hope, right? Did you know that um, if you look up the definition of hope and then you look up um, synonyms, which means words that mean the same thing as hope, well, then you look up words that mean the opposite of hope. And did you know that one of the words that's opposite of hope is reality? That totally floored me one day when I saw that. I thought the opposite of hope is reality. So whatever I see, and I'm a realist by nature, I like whatever's in front of me, that's what it is. And that's what I'm going to roll with. That's why faith has been so hard for me in my life to have faith for what faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. Mm -hmm. So that's why peace needs to accompany everything that we do. And two, there's that phrase, do it afraid. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. Mm -hmm. Um, there's been times where God has called me to do something and my natural mindset is like, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. Kind of like when Jesus is out in the water and Peter said, bid me to come and I'll come. And Jesus said, come. And he steps out on the water and starts walking towards Jesus. That doesn't make sense. Like yeah. that defies reality. But when you believe and when Jesus calls to you and you answer, you're able to do anything. So I can't say that fear wouldn't be maybe a little bit involved if our flesh has anything to say with it, but peace is what helps me seal the deal on stuff. 
Um, if I have to make a big hefty decision, I have no peace about it. Something's stirring in me. It doesn't feel right. I can't yeah. do it because yeah. I know that's not the Lord. Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, Amy, it was just so amazing speaking to you and, and speaking a little bit about your journey. Um, I wish we had more time and we could talk in more detail. Um, but this series has just really been about self-love and, and, and women sort of supporting women and just empowering women. And I think faith is such a huge part of that. And not everyone has a relationship with God, but I think, I think it is really special when you do, and it definitely yeah. changed my life as well. Um, but the one question I end the series on is, is something just as I'm all about learning to love ourselves as we are, because of course God loves us as we are, mm -hmm. um, is uh, one thing that you love about yourself. I'd have to say, um, sounds so cliche, but <laughs> everything good in me is him. Everything. So I love, what I love about myself the most is that I stopped trying to be so strong in my own flesh and I instead became strong in him. And that's when I flourished. So I'd say that what I love about me is him. I love that he became everything that I am today. Uh, the way I love people, the way I encourage people, the way that I put others ahead of myself. Um, it's because of him. He's taught me how to love and to be more like Christ. And that's what our whole goal is, is to be more like him. Wow. Okay. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, I look forward to seeing the rest of your journey. And I'm always inspired by your content and your quotes. And it's just amazing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. I'm happy we got to connect. It's really Yes. Fun. Yeah. No, thank you so much. That was the end of another episode on Unplug with Annie. I'm continuing the series of Fierce next week where I'm talking to another amazing woman and I can't wait for you guys to hear the whole series so do stay tuned. For everything Unplug related do follow the IG and Facebook page at the rate Unplug with Annie. You can also go to the website www.unplugwithannie.com and subscribe to the newsletter so you're constantly updated with what's going on on the blog as well as the podcast. Until next week.